Pastor George here. I wanted to take a second and thank you for checking out our online messages. Our prayer is that this resource will challenge you, encourage you, and empower you as you uh, dig deeper in your relationship with Christ. But in no way will it replace God's plan for your active involvement in a local church. I do want to take a second and ask you to uh, prayerfully consider as you participate and listen to this resource, partnering with Revive as we uh, pursue our mission of seeing people live their fullest life in Christ. You can do this by going online to revivechurchga.com backslash give and making a one-time donation or setting up a recurring gift. It's through the generosity of others that we're able to provide um, a resource like this one. With that being said, uh, I do want to thank you again, and here is today's message. are in the middle of a series called Greater Than. We're kind of looking at the fact that there are callings on our lives as individuals and callings on our, our lives as the church. And in order for us to get to that point, in order for us to walk in those callings, there's certain things in our lives and there's certain things in the church that have to be greater than other things. So we talked about how worship has to be greater than idolatry. And last week we talked about how grieving has to be greater than dismissing. And so this week what I want to talk about is celebration. And celebration has to be greater than cynicism. And cynicism is kind of a big word, so let me unpack it for you. A cynic is every Atlanta sports fan there is. You know them. Your pastor is one, right? Let me break it down to you. There was a Super Bowl. The Falcons were winning. Falcons were winning 28-3 to at halftime. And I'm sitting in the room with Falcons fans who know the inevitable is coming, who know that the Falcons are somehow going to lose this game. We had all the hope in the world. We knew that it was possible, but we also knew that Atlanta sports teams never win anything. They just get really close, right? Uh, now, this one was, was good for me, but a lot of you will understand UGA and the national championship winning against Alabama and Alabama coming back and beating UGA. As a, as a Tech fan, I can remember a little, as a little boy going to games with my dad and my uncle, and we're sitting up there with all of these old white dudes, <laughs> and we're winning. Georgia Tech is winning, and the coach opts to kick a field goal, and these guys get so mad, and they start yelling at Chan Gailey like he can hear them, even though they're two decks up, and they're mad at him for coaching like it's an NFL team, da 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 da, da. and I'm like, we're winning. What's wrong with these guys? Well, we end up losing to Clemson, right? And so there's this sense of as we've been, we've let our we've let our guard down, and we've seen our sports teams get really close, and we get hopeful and we get excited, and then they let us down, and we're hurt, and we're angry, and we're gonna not ever believe that they could do it again, right? The Atlanta Braves, my dear Braves. 
14 division championships in a row and one World Series. One. They haven't won a playoff series since 2001 when I was 11, right? They get to the playoffs this year. They are projected to win. And we're all excited, and I've got a text message changed between my dad and all my brothers, and we're talking, and somehow we know. And it gets to the last game is going to be in Atlanta, and the game's still two days away, and (laughs) you see the text message. I'm not even going to watch it. Fire snit. The Braves are going to lose. There's no chance they're going to win. There's a picture of a dumpster on fire and says a picture of the Braves, right? Like, it's just this whole sense of we know the inevitable. The first inning starts. And before that inning is over, it is 10 to nothing. Okay, so we, as Braves fans, as Atlanta fans, have been let down so many times. And so we know, we know before the playoff, before the game, before the championship, we're not going to be hopeful. We're not going to celebrate because we're cynical and we know how it's going to end. And that's what cynicism is, right? It comes from a place of letting your guard down and getting burned. And the truth is, we really live in a cynical culture, whether it's the government or it's the school system or it's the career field, whatever it is. We, have, we, we live in a place where we looked and, and the, our culture has given us all of these promises that it can't keep. Promises of fulfilling, promises of happiness, promises of joy, promises of love and belonging. And it's always left us empty. And so when you look around, you have people who hate the government, people who hate the system, people who hate their families, people who hate their spouse, because over and over and over again, they've let their guard down and they've gotten hurt. And so they choose to be cynical. They choose to be cynical as a chance to protect themselves. And, and let's be honest, it's, it's lighthearted when we talk about sports and it's even kind of fun to pick at each other. And as an Atlanta fan, I understand that sports are just sports. And I like to pick on myself and pick on other people because it's fun. But when it's a loved one that stabbed you in the back or when it's a, a job or you go to interview after interview never to get it called back or when it's a, a kid that's turned their back on you or a best friend that stabs you in the back, it's not lighthearted and fun anymore. And you know, it's not just the culture. It's made its way into the church. The church that is supposed to be this proclamation of hope and joy into the world. I can remember sitting in this room of pastors and, and I'm the youngest one in the room and, and I'm getting ready to move and plant a church and I'm talking about all the, the cool stuff that I'm excited about and how much I love people and I, I love the church and I just can't wait to see what it's going to do. And I can hear the old pastors in the back. I can hear their comments of just wait till he gets down there and starts doing it. Old pastors that have been stabbed in the back by, by people in their church. Old pastors that have been living in ministry and have gotten to a place where they don't even want to try anymore because they've been let down by people close to them. And it's not just the pastors, it's the people. Everywhere we look, we see and experience cynicism. It's made its way even into the brightest hope. It's made its way into the church. And if we are going to achieve the God's calling on our life, we have to understand that celebration must be greater than cynicism. Cynicism goes deeper than a bad attitude. It goes deeper than, than just being negative all the time. If we really think about it, it is a shield. We use a brush to paint the world as always the same. And therefore, we never let our guard down. The Braves are in the playoffs and we know what they're going we know they're gonna lose. And when they lose, what do we say? See, I knew it. 
It was all a ploy. It was all, we were ready to not be let down again. And therefore, therefore, when it happens, it hurts less. With people, let's just be honest, we've gotten to a place where, where we often will say, people just stink. I mean, let me be real, people suck. The career field sucks. Sometimes life sucks. And we get to this place and that's our attitude. And we say that and we do that so that when something goes wrong, we're okay because we didn't let our guard down and we didn't get invested and we're, we're, we, we keep a safe distance. And the cynicism becomes a place of where it's actually robbing us of joy and it's robbing us of hope because we're afraid of the hurt that might happen. And the hurt, it, it really could because there are people out there who are bad people. And there are careers out there that are bad careers. And there's government and systems that are bad. And so it can happen. But the truth is when we live a life with our shield up, we never experience the joy and the celebration that can come from a good career, from a good marriage, from a healthy life. We say things like, I knew it was going to happen, so it hurts less. I've, I've heard and I've read this in news articles, so these aren't my words, but all women are the same manipulative bloodsuckers. That's a quote that I read. And then, and, and we read that, and we intake, and we start to believe that all women are the same, and then our wife does something nice to, to help us with our work, and we think, you know what? I remember what happened with the Braves. I know women, and she wants something from me. That's the only reason she's going to help me. So in a moment when maybe your, your love language is service like mine and your wife tries to do something to serve you, instead of experiencing the joy and the celebration of that moment, I rob myself of that because I'm trying to figure out what she wants. Or maybe it's the other way around. All men are chauvinist pigs. The husband goes and he puts gas in your car and you think, oh, I know men. He thought I couldn't pump that gas on my own. So your husband tries to serve you and do something nice for you, but instead of experiencing the joy and the love and the celebration from that service, you're robbed of that because you won't let your guard down because you come from an, a place of cynicism. We can't let the bad define the way we live. Yes, the bad is real. Yes, the bad is at, out there. We looked at Jesus last week who, who grieved the loss of his best friend, Lazarus. Jesus had moments of heartbreak, of grief, of getting stabbed in the back, but that's not what defined his life. The bad is not what defined him. If you go to today's scripture, it's going to be in Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 7. And there's a time in Jesus' ministry in Luke where he actually reads this from the scroll, and it's like a, a declaration of who he is. This is, this is what, what defines Jesus, not, not the bad stuff that happened to him, but this. So I'm going to read this to you, and this is out of Isaiah 61, and just listen to it. It says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and to release them from the darkness, for, to release them from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. This is it's a declaration. Go down to verse four. It says, They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the place of that was long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flock. 
foreigners will work your fields and vineyards, and you will be called the priest of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Listen to verse 7. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion, and instead of grace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land. And listen to this. And everlasting joy will be yours. Everlasting, eternal, on and on. Yeah, there's pain and there's suffering and there's heartache and there's bad things that happen in this world. But when it's all said and done, when it's all over, when it's all gone and we are in the new heaven and the new earth and Jesus is on the throne and we are all surrounded by him, all surrounding him, it's going to not be a culture of cynicism. It's going to be a culture of celebration everlasting joy on and on and on it will be yours you will inherit that when everything is done and the end is over it's joy the grief the pain the sorrow all that that Jesus experienced and we see that we see him feel those emotions it's good to grieve you have to grieve go back to last week right but that's a temporary response to sin and the consequences of sin in our world When that's all gone, it's nothing but celebration. And our celebration has to be the answer to cynicism. His life was unbelievably difficult, but it was still marked with celebration, joy, and hope. And when I say celebration, I do feel that, that joy and hope are implied in celebration. You never see somebody celebrate when they're without joy or when they're hopeless, right? So what I really want to do now for the rest of this message is is I want to kind of look at a theology of celebration, what it looks like in Scripture, and kind of understand how cynicism can rob us of that. You can go, well, let's start off with with what you think about God. That's what theology is, right? We did a series this summer. So what what do you think about God? What kind of mood is he in? What kind of mood do you picture God being in? What about when, when God is sitting on his, his holy throne and he's pondering you? What is he thinking about? When God's thinking about you, what do you think he's thinking about? You follow me? That's a lot of thinking. Right? I, know, I don't do a lot of thinking, but I'm asking you to do some thinking. <laughs> in that moment, in that moment when God looks at you, what does he feel? A lot of times we project what we feel when we look in the mirror onto God. Whatever your struggle is, whatever you've done in the past, whatever people have labeled you, and we think that that's what God thinks about us. How do you picture him looking at you? And I think for a lot of us, it's, it's not celebration. Oh, look at George. Let's celebrate him. That's not what I think about a lot of times, right? But I think if we're going to get to a place where celebration is fundamental to our discipleship, we have to understand that when God looks at you, he celebrates. That's what Jesus did on the cross, right? When Jesus died on the cross, his blood covers our sin, So when God looks at us, we've surrendered our life to him. When God looks at us, he doesn't see all the things you've done wrong. He doesn't see how much you struggle. He doesn't see all all the things that you keep messing up on. He sees Jesus. He looks at you and he celebrates you. And that celebration has to be fundamental to who we are because it's fundamental to who our God is. Just look at creation, the creation story in Genesis, right? What does it say? He creates something and he says, it is 
good. Now, a lot of us, because we grew up in a more traditional experience, we, we think about reading Genesis 1, and it's, God is very stoic. He's got his chin up. He says, it is good. No emotion. <laughs> right? No emotion. He creates something that is good. It is good. But if you go to Job 38, God talks about his emotion. He talks about the mood around creation. In Job 38, verses 4 through 7, this is what it says. Where were you? He's talking to Job. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or, or what were it, and what were its bases sunk? Or who laid the cornerstone? And listen to verse 7. It says, When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. What was going on while God was creating the world? He had the choir behind him, singing and shouting shouts of joy. Because I love, if you've ever been to uh, uh, like an African-American, very free-spirited church, and you get some, the, the choir director's up there, and he starts talking, and the, the people behind him are like repeating him, and man, it, it gets you fired up. And I love to worship like that. And we, we would have these uh, chapels that were, they would come in, a church would come in, and they would lead worship. And, and man, that, those, so those like chapel days would get me fired up. And, and that's what's going on here. God is like, it was good. It was good. Right? right? It's like, and he creates people. It was very good. Oh, he did it again. Right? right? He, oh, and you know, let's create the birds. Oh, he did it again. Shouts of joy. Celebration. The foundation of the earth was celebration. It was shouting. It was the choir behind God as he's creating things. It's this beautiful moment. The foundation of everything is a foundation of celebration. How about this? This is a good one as a pastor. What about Tithing. How many of you are like, man, tithing, that is the highlight of my week. <laughs> you know what? I love to church shop. I love to go to this church and that church just to tithe and give them more money, just to just share the wealth, right? How, how many of us is tithing a culture of celebration? But if you look at Deuteronomy 14, verses 22 through 27, let me get there. It says this. Start with verse 22. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine, and olive oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God, in the place that he will choose as a dwelling for his name. I'm going to skip over to verse 26. It's 26. It says, Use the silver to buy whatever you like cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink, or anything you wish. So he's saying, look, if, if you get to a place where the, the temple is too far away, well, then sell this and use that silver and go and pay your tithe at the temple so you don't have to carry the cattle, carry whatever that is. And in the moment that you do that, there's this celebration. There's this celebration. And if you go to a seminary, they actually teach you that this is a scripture for supporting bourbon and barbecue, right? <laughs> I mean, think about it. Cattle, sheep, Fermented drink, wine. I mean, it's a celebration, right? Okay, so, but seriously, there's, there's this sense of tithing is this chance of praising God with one of the things that we value most, and that's our belongings, our money. And it's this sense of celebration. The New Testament, it talks about a cheerful giver, and the, the Greek word it uses is hilarium, right? Hilarious. It's where we get the word hilarious. It's this laughter, this uncontrollable laughter and joy. How many of us is, is giving money to the church brings us laughter and joy? 
But that's what it's saying. It's a culture of celebration. If you've ever had the chance to be irrationally generous, it's unbelievable how it'll change you. You have a chance to to buy yourself a car. Now, I haven't had this opportunity, but instead you buy it for somebody that works for you. Imagine how that would make you feel. There's been times in your life where you've been able to give somebody something that cost you and didn't cost them. And it's, to, it's more than just a feel good. It's, it's pleasurable. And that's what God is saying. It's just the celebration of giving. The, the, the Bible talks about in the Old Testament, you get to, to, to a celebration around scripture. And Nehemiah, the, their walls have been destroyed and their enemy is coming to attack them. And they don't know what to do. And they're, they're panicked and they're stressed and they're anxious. And Nehemiah, their leader, gets up and, and, and he's going to build the wall, but he doesn't have time to build the wall because the enemy's coming in. So what do they do? They read scripture and it says that they rejoiced. They rejoiced because they heard the word of the Lord and they celebrated. And they were so excited that they understood the word. They almost forget about the walls and they're celebrating in such a way that their enemies can actually hear it. And when their enemies hear that celebration, it's one of the things that leads to their victory and being able to build the walls because they celebrate so greatly at the reading of God's word. How do you feel when you read the word of God? That talks about in the Old Testament feasts and festivals and the, the Feast of Booze, which lasts seven days. And, and it's these big celebrations. And a lot of times we don't, we don't really picture that, but we know what a festival is. I mean, our culture's famous for festivals. I mean, you've got Coachella. You've seen pictures of Coachella. That is a big festival. Wouldn't recommend attending it, but it is a big festival. Bonnaroo, Burning, Burning Man is biblical. They're in the desert, right? Like there's some, a big fire ban in the desert. I mean, it looks biblical. Not really, but you get it. We know what a festival is. It's this celebration. And, and that's what the church is supposed to be. That's what our lives are supposed to be. Shouting for joy, singing to the Lord, reading his word, communing with him and his people. It's a culture of celebration, Look at worship. David, David, dancing naked, like the leader of the the, the king is so overcome with the joy of the Lord that he starts dancing naked. Like next week, I'm coming to church and I'm not going to dance naked. (laughs) But he's so, he, he doesn't, he loses track of everything around him. He, he doesn't care what's going on. He doesn't care about his surroundings. He's so in love with God that he begins to just worship. And his, his wife says, look at yourself. You're the king. You've made a fool of yourself. You could almost say she's, I don't know, cynical. And as a result of her attitude, she actually becomes barren. And there's not much joy like the joy of having a child. But her attitude robs her of that joy. We have to let celebration be greater than cynicism. Jesus, he stands up and he reads this in Isaiah, that passage that we talked about. You can go read it in in Luke 11. He says, I've come to set the prisoners free. That's the gospel. That's what he's saying I've come to do. That's what Jesus did. When he died on the cross, he broke the chains. When he died on the cross, he forgave us of our sin. We've talked about how, how sin is, is it's more than just doing bad things, but it's a curse that we inherit because of Adam and Eve. But Jesus on the cross, he cures that curse. He paid it all. He covers it all. Everything is paid for. 
There's a song that I started recently, listening to recently called Waymaker, and, and I challenge you to go listen to it. It's an eight-minute song, and you'll forget it's eight minutes because it is just powerful. But it proclaims who Jesus is. He's a way maker. He's a promise keeper. He's a miracle worker. He's the light in the darkness. Whatever situation you got going on, he's greater than that. And that's what Jesus is up here proclaiming. He's proclaiming to these people in the temple that I've come to do that. I've come to make the way for you. Your job isn't working out. You need provision. Your marriage is falling apart. You can't control your kids. You don't know how you're going to pay those bills. I've come to provide a way. I've come to give you the strength to, to move forward forward. His name is greater than the depression. His name is greater than the cancer. His name is greater than the loneliness. His name is greater than the miscarriage, from the job loss, from the family falling apart. Jesus' name is greater than that. And Jesus is up here and he's proclaiming this good news. He's saying, that's why I'm here. That's the gospel. And guess how they respond? Guess how they respond? If you keep reading in Luke, go, go read it. They respond by threatening to push him off a cliff. If you're a Christian in here and you've experienced the glory of the Lord in your life, you've got a story. You've got a story about who you were, how you met Jesus, and who you are now. You've got a story about how he absolutely changed you. You've got a story about, about how he's grown with you and prevented you from this life or, or that life. You've got a story about the freedom that comes from that. You know that joy. And Jesus is saying, that he's telling the world that that's what he's here for. And they respond by wanting to throw him off a cliff. Cynicism will always rob you of that celebration. His whole life, his whole ministry, he's surrounded by it. There are people in his, in his circle. There are people that are always following him that are completely cynical that he's not God. He can't do what he says he's gonna do. And it's always follow Jesus wherever he goes. Yet where he goes, the way he fights that is through celebration. If we have any people in here that are, have a tendency to be defiant, okay, you don't have to raise your hand. All right, I get it. Maybe, maybe you like to break the rules a little bit, right? Celebration is the practice of defiance against cynicism. Celebration is the practice of defiance against cynicism. It's literally spiritual warfare against hopelessness and loneliness. So we have to get to a place where we can celebrate. John 15, 11 says that I have told you this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. We have to get to a place where we can celebrate. So really quickly, three ways that I think we can practice celebration to make this a little bit practical. The first one is simple celebration. Simple celebration. This is like when a need is met. Think about, you know, if you've ever had to move, moving is awful. Nobody enjoys it, right? But if you're moving, you're tired, it's hot, and you get that, ice cold bottle of water. And if, you, if you've ever been around somebody, they always make this ah, noise after they drink it, right? Maybe it's the Coke commercial you got playing in your head, right? Ah, that ah, celebration. The simple fact that you were thirsty and you got the cold water. Simple celebration. You have a need, whatever it may be, and it's met. It allows you to sm celebrate the small things. One writer calls it the pleasure of appreciation. And this, this was a, 
uh, re- very real for me last night. Today is Lauren and I's seventh anniversary. Yay! Right. So last night, last night we went out to eat and we kind of had a, a date night, just the two of us. And, and we're sitting at the table. And I've talked about this before. We have a practice that we do every year on our anniversary, where we like intimately, seriously look at each other in the eyes. You're not allowed to have a phone out. You're not allowed to have any kind of thing going on to distract you. And we have to tell each other one thing that we learned about the other one that year. And this is very challenging because once you've been together seven years, you kind of know a lot, right? But, but we know that if a marriage is going to be successful, you have to always be fighting for each other, that there's going to be things that try to tear you apart, and you've always got to be fighting to know each other better. And so this is just a practice that we started. And, and so last night, we're sitting there at the table, and we're just telling each other, you know, it starts out with the one thing we learn, but it inevitably always leads into just like, a mouthful of compliments for each other. And there's just something awesome about sitting there and, and hearing your spouse say all these wonderful things about you to your face and then, and then you doing the same for them. And, and it's, literally, it's literally pleasurable. It feels good to tell your spouse all these great things about them. And it feels good to hear those things, right? And this is the simple celebration of a simple phrase of like, man, I just learned that, that you are really strong in this area. Or I just learned that you are, can really do this or whatever like that. And and in that moment, that simple pleasure of appreciation, simple celebration. The other one is spontaneous celebration. And this one is uh, very evident in children. When children feel safe, they play, right? Addie Lee, like she can walk and she can run, but for some reason when we're at home, she gallops, like, you might have seen it here. She doesn't run. She like literally gallops from one place to the other. I'm like, what are you doing? And it's just, she's just so happy and safe that, that she feels free enough to gallop, right? I think, <laughs> are you at a place in your life where you trust God so much that even if things around you aren't great, that you can gallop in the spirit? I mean, maybe, literally, maybe not. But seriously, where you're just with God and there's just this joy that you can skip and hop because you're spontaneously trusting and celebrating life in him. Lauren tells these stories of when she was little that her dad would come pick her up, pick her and her brother up. They'd get in the car and he'd be like, hey, we wanted oysters, so we're going to the beach this weekend. <laughs> like, what? They'd go to the beach, get oysters, and swim in the indoor pool. It was just like something fun they did spontaneously. And I'm just thinking, where does that money come from? How do you, I think about all the reasons why I wouldn't do that. Like time, things I got to get done, money. Like there's no way that happens, but there's this, this level of freedom that comes in spontaneous celebration. Do we feel safe? Do we practice trusting God in a way that allows us to just play? And the third is this, courageous celebration. Courageous celebration. If we think about it, I said it earlier, life is not always sunshine and cupcakes right? Sometimes there are bad people. Sometimes life hurts. Sometimes things don't go our way. But there are times when we're down and we're out that the way through that pain and the way through that suffering is through courageous celebration. Even though you don't feel like it, even though you can't see the outcome, you have courage in God that he is going to provide, that he is going to pull you through, that he is with you in the storm. This is, this, there's literally writings about this from from Jews in the Holocaust, where they're finding times to celebrate and worship, even though all the horror that's going on around them, because they have this courageous celebration that they know that their God is fighting for them. 
Are you at a place in your life that even when there's nothing but, but terror around you, that you can be courageous in the Lord and celebrate in him? Sometimes this is the answer for anxiety. Sometimes this is the answer for depression. Even though you don't see the way out, even though you don't know how it's gonna end, you're courageous enough to celebrate anyway. It's not always the only way, but sometimes it's the key step in celebrating courageously even when you don't know the end. We serve a God that is a God of celebration. And if we're gonna look like him, that means we have to be a people of celebration. Your God died for you. You have power and you have victory in his name. Here's the challenge. Go celebrate. Go celebrate, proclaim, rejoice. His joy is complete in you. That's what the Bible says. Joy is complete in you. Let's go celebrate. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we celebrate. We thank you that you died on the cross. We thank you that even when life feels difficult, we can be courageous in you. We thank you that that we can celebrate the small things. We can celebrate the parking spot. We can celebrate the held hand. We can celebrate the small things. We can celebrate the big things. I pray that we will leave here. We will not stifle celebration. We will not let cynicism bring us down. Lord, that we would obliterate that shield and we will live a life and we will live a culture of celebrating. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you guys. Thank you.